Father, help us to remember that the story of the gospel doesn't start and finish with your birth, but it starts and then finishes with you on the cross dying for our sins. Help us to remember that. We pray that you would be glorified in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, again, welcome to Mercy Fellowship. Merry Christmas. Glad you guys are here. Uh, here at Mercy Fellowship, we are saved by Jesus' work. We are changed by Jesus' grace, and we are living on Jesus' mission. And that means that we believe that we exist to make a disciple. Oh, there we go. All right. To make a disciple of Jesus Christ. We love God and we love people. Are we good the microphone? No? Is it me? It's me, isn't it? It's totally me. Yeah, we did this during sound check too. Total fail on my part. When you don't turn the microphone on, nothing happens. Um, so that's that's your big lesson. No, again, Merry Christmas. Welcome. We're glad you're here. We're starting um, an eight-week series on parenting and giving tonight. Today. No, no, it's Christmas. We, we, it's Christmas. We are going to talk about Jesus' birth. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, you can turn to Luke chapter 2. That's where we're going to be today. And part of why, like every year, we have um, a calendar that, that as, as days kind of blended together back in 2020, it's like, no, no, we want and we need these days, these moments to remember what's true. We need to have rhythms throughout the year to remind ourselves and kind of shake ourselves from the malaise that we find ourselves in when we're weak and weary. And really what we need in these times and in these moments are our hope. And, and what I find is, is during this season, right, um, something happens to us uh, in, our, in our maybe TV viewing, right, where we just get drawn in to these Hallmark movies, Anybody watch Hallmark movies? You don't have to admit it, men. It's okay, um, right? We know you watch them with your wives, right? These movies are important, and the reason they are is because there's something in us that wants the comfort of knowing that no matter what happens in this story, it's going to end well, right? Like, 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 yeah, there's maybe a conflict, and maybe it's, it's kind of small, you know, a big town girl comes and moves in, meets the guy. He's wanted to open an artisan candle shop, uh, but, you know, Candle Co. is coming in and taking over. But we know at the end of the day, right, they're going to end up together, and it's an awesome love story. And there's a, a comfort in that. And maybe you're like, hey, dude, I don't, I don't do Hallmark. That's great. Die Hard, right? Why do we watch Die Hard at Christmas? Because we know that evil loses and good wins. That there's victory, that, 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 that there's no more threat of violence except for like, I don't know, the next eight diehards after that, um, right? But we want that finality. We want that victory. And that's really what hope does for us, is tell us that there's a better future where the love story ends well, where evil's uh, defeated and victory is assured. And that's what we see here in Luke chapter two. Uh, I'll start, I'm gonna break it up into a few sections here and we'll talk about it because God knows that we need hope. He knows that we need hope because uh, at the beginning of the story of the Bible, as familiar as it might be for you, like sin entered brokenness entered, separation entered, darkness entered the story. And there's a lot of chapters in the Bible that are really dark, that, that are really scary, that, that maybe at times seem hopeless. And yet through it, sprinkled throughout, is God promising hope. Hey, one is going to come who's going to defeat the evil. A love story is going to end with consummation. And so it, years had gone by. Hope was dark and then Christmas comes, 
And God says, I know my people are hopeless and my answer for their hopelessness is hope that can only be found in Jesus Christ. And that leads us to Luke chapter two right here. It says this, starting in verses one through seven. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration or census when Quinarius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So whether you're, you know, your first Sunday at church in a while, or whether you grew up in the church or not, like this is probably a little familiar to you, but let's, let's just talk about it for a minute. What I want us to see in this is that we have a hope that helps us rejoice because we know that hope was born into history. So a lot of movies around Christmas time, because I've been watching a lot of movies with my kids the last few years, right? It's all about legends. It's all about, you know, myths. Like, like hey, man, I want to blow some of the myths here. I don't know the ages of the kids. Okay, some things aren't real. Okay, um, so with that, though, there's something that we get from story. There's something that we get from narrative, and we like stories and legends, and, and that's okay because they can help us learn some morals. They can, they can give us, you know, s- some ideas of hope. But I don't know about you. I don't live in a hypothetical world. No, we live in a real world. That means we need not a hypothetical or theoretical hope. We need a real and living hope. And so this, this verses begin as Luke kind of gives this account of um, the, the baby Jesus being born. And it's important that he sets the setting in a historical context. Because he doesn't want you to think this is some strange legend about some mythical savior. No, he's saying, hey, let me tell you what was happening in the news at that time. There was a massive government-led migration because it was census time. He says, Caesar Augustus was in charge. He says, hey, I want to, to tax my people more. Hooray, Merry Christmas, right? And so to do that, he says, I want everybody to go back to their hometown. So what we're looking at is literally a government-mandated like migration where people are all having to go back to their hometowns and get registered. And so God's people aren't living in a time where it seems like God's in charge. No, in fact, Rome was a very pluralistic pagan government. You could worship any god you wanted as long as government was king, as long as Caesar was your prince of peace and the Son of God. And so while Rome was very enthusiastic about how much they could take from their people, in the backdrop of that was God setting the scene to give the most amazing gift to his people, the gift of his presence, the gift of Jesus Christ coming into history. And so we can rejoice because God's hand is in human history for his purposes. And that's what I love about seeing these verses in the beginning is that, hey, you know, like good news, bad news, whatever's going on, like, like we think that that's the biggest story in the world. And yet God says, no, no, my hand is moving. My story is advancing far greater and bigger than any small current events that seem to be happening. And so while, while Caesar was using this to tax, God was using this to, to literally move people around so that his son could be born in the place that it was promised 
hundreds of years ago. We looked at that last week when we talked about the prophecy of Jesus being born in Bethlehem. And so, again, this, this small working class family goes on this 90-mile journey, right? They had to go. There was no opt-out. They couldn't write a religious exemption letter, right? They just, they had to go. They had to go back to Bethlehem, and everybody had to go. And, and you'd think like this detail of, oh, the city of David. Okay, well, who's that? He's a king, like a mighty king when Israel was crushing it and taking out its enemies and, and his son Solomon afterwards, time of great prosperity. Like everything was going awesome at that point, but it wasn't lasting. And God made a promise and he said, no, no, one is gonna come from your line that will have a kingdom that will last forever with a government that will expand, that will bring justice and mercy and grace and love and life. And so God promised that one would come from this line. And, and so that's cool, like, uh, David, excuse me, excuse me, rather Joseph, right? He's in that family line. And you're thinking, he must be doing pretty well for himself. No, it's like 400 years later. There's no inheritance. At this point, he's, he's got a royal lineage and name only. So he's a hardworking carpenter. And he takes his, his um, uh, wife, or rather um, Mary, who's to be um, engaged to him in this, and, and she's pregnant um, you know, through divine means. And, and they go on this 90-mile journey from Nazareth and Galilee all the way to Bethlehem. And I'm sure it was a delight. Anybody ever traveled with a pregnant woman? It is awesome. I mean, you imagine how many times they had to stop to use the restroom on the way from Galilee to Bethlehem. It was a lot. Journey took them a while. And then they get there, and Mary's like, hey, Joseph, you, um, you, you confirmed the Airbnb, right? Right, you got the confirmation email? Um, not, no, babe, I thought you were going to do that. I'm carrying the baby. You had one job, Joseph, one job, right? And so, so even in this small town that is an insignificant little bird, right? Like, like Bethlehem, not a big town. And even in that, they are seen as people who are of no value. There's no room for them to receive hospitality from their family, to be welcomed as an outsider. I mean, this was hugely cultural. Like, you did not let people um, not have a place to stay. Uh, and so it just tells you the town is full, massive disruption, and even in, like, a small little pond, if you will, they are the smallest of fish. And so they're outside, they're left out in the cold. Mary gives birth in a stable. Um, and and this, this, this baby Jesus, born into this like global environment of darkness and despair, is just wrapped up um, and he's placed in a manger, which is right where, where the animals would feed. And so this promised king, the savior of God's people, he, he arrives lowly. And yet we're gonna see in these next verses, I mean, amazing celebration like, like, like the world has never seen. Here we are, verses 8 through 14. Hope is announced. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. We're good on that, right? Okay. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, shepherds, if you will. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. 
And suddenly there was an angel multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying or singing, glory to God in the highest, on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Or some manuscripts say, peace and goodwill towards men. And so what's important for us to see in this section is that hope is not silent. Like, like, I don't want us to be a people. We shouldn't be a people that are just silently hopeful. Right? The Bible actually says, always be prepared to give an account for the hope that is within you. So hope at times speaks. Hope at times sings when it says, hey, I think that God is moving. I think God is doing something amazing here. I know that victory is coming. I know that the love story ends well. That should cause you to sing. And so while baby Jesus is right, sleeping in the manger, in the fields far away, maybe a few miles away, somewhere between Jerusalem and Bethlehem, are shepherds. And, and you know, hey, maybe you've heard this once, maybe you've heard this a thousand times. Shepherds, right, they didn't even have to pass a background check, okay? Right, like th- these are the guys that nobody wants to hire for any other jobs, right? Th- these are guys who, they're doing the night shift guarding sheep, Socioeconomically, not doing well. Societally, unclean. You're dealing with sheep all the time. Maybe some of them have a record. Maybe some of them have no family heritage, no inheritance. These are guys that you, these are not the people that you use to say, I want to start a movement that's going to have influence in the world. But this is how our God works, right? Our God comes to the lowly, and as they're keeping watch over the sheep, they are the ones that receive the royal birth announcement. It says an angel, the Lord appears in glory. I mean, guys, total darkness. You're out there in the middle of the night. You're keeping watch. You're, you're, you're wondering about wolves. You're wondering about, I don't know, whatever other animals are out there that could hurt the sheep. And then all of a sudden, boom, the light shines in the darkness. It says the glory shone around them like all of a sudden they're surrounded. There's no more darkness. There's only light. There's nowhere to go. Like they are rightly terrified. Their reaction of, of fear is, is totally understandable. It's an assault to their eyes. They're surrounded. All dark is now all light. Glory all around them. The glory of God is inescapable and it's unavoidable. There's nowhere for them to go. And it says they're afraid. And, and, and when, when we have some fear, when we have some nervousness, and it's at a time when God is excited, we should be expectant because the world's about to change. God's going to show them something that the entire history of the world is about to pivot. Right? Th- think about like um, in your car, right? When you, when you put in that tank of gas and you hit the trip reset. Maybe I'm the only one that does that. I always want to know how many gallons I, you know, it takes, right? Or you change the oil, right? This is not a trip reset. This is an entire history reset. There's a reason that it is 2022 in like two weeks because we said, hey, we're not counting time on what was. We're counting time on what is, and that's Jesus Christ's arrival into history. All of history has pivoted and reset, and these guys are the ones that get to see it first. They get to hear it first. The angel knows they're afraid, and he ministers to them. Like, I don't know, if I was an angel, I'd be like, yeah, let him, let him be afraid for a while. Like, angel glory. And, and he's like, no, no, guys, fear not. It's okay. And, and why, why do they need to, to fear not? Because they're paralyzed, it says, with great fear. He says, you, can, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be terrified. But go ahead and marvel. That's the word behold. He says, it's, soak it in. 
Like, like see how God is rejoicing of his son entering into history. And it says, rejoice, marvel, behold, it says. Why? Because I bring you gospel. I bring you, it says, good news. Good news for who? Good news for the religious? Good news for the rich? Good news for the powerful? No, he says good news for all the people. It's good, good news for, for all the people. Right, we talked about this last week, right? All the nations of the world are gonna be blessed by this news. This is good news. It's an announcement that light has triumphed over darkness. And I, like, I believe our God is a poetic God. And that's why I think he, he did this announcement in the middle of the night to show the stark contrast of the darkness the world was in because of sin and the light that was coming because of the Savior, Jesus Christ. And he says that there's an answer for great fear, and it's an announcement of good news of the arrival of what? It says great joy. A joy that is greater than your fear. For who? Everybody. Fear is turned to joy when you're reminded of the character of God and his mission of peace. And, and if you think like, okay, wow, that was, that was pretty exciting. That was, that was interesting. Then all of a sudden it goes up to a whole nother notch, right? The glory meter goes all the way up to 11 because now instead of one angel with some light, which was enough to terrify him, it, it says a host of angels come in. And, and if you don't know what that, that word means, it actually means um, a, the, an angel armies, like an army of angels comes in. Like the intimidation factor alone would be terrifying. And here's God in, in, in his glory, sending angels, sending an army, and he's doing all of that. So he says, hey, I know the world is weary from sin. I know it looks like darkness is winning. I know it looks like evil is advancing, but I'm shining light into the world, and the weary world can rejoice because in me bringing an army, I'm showing that victory is assured. No matter how dark things get, in Christ, victory is always assured. It's never in doubt. And, and this, this angelic army choir, I mean, I mean, just think of like an army going in to battle, singing a song of victory in brilliant light in God's glory, peace on earth for people who desperately need it, not those who've pleased God. He doesn't say peace on earth for those of you that figured it out. No, peace on those who God has given favor to. God, again, giving gifts of grace, gifts of mercy. God wins. This, this scene, in the midst of darkness, it looks like victory. If you know the rest of the Bible, you know the rest of the story, you know there's, there's, there's more battles, if you will, to come. There's more, like darkness is still gonna lash out. Even today, as we go, like Satan and sin and death are a defeated enemy, but they still strike out. But victory is assured. And so as he's announcing this, he's telling them, I am bigger than your society. I'm bigger than your government. I'm bigger than your culture. I'm bigger than your past. I'm bigger than your present, and I will secure your future. And he says, the good news is the identity of who the Christ is. I'm sending a savior to the city of David who is Christ, meaning savior king. And it says that he is the Lord. That's the word for God. He's like the Savior King isn't some man who figured it out and led an army. It is God himself showing up as a man into history. And you're like, whoa, came as a small little baby? 
That's a bold move, Cotton. Let's see how it plays out, right? The only way you get to send a baby into battle is if you absolutely know who's going to win. God can do that because God already has the outcome assured. We worship a God who has victory assured. And in this, we see, yes, the divine identity of Jesus. He's a savior. He's the redeemer. He's the God uh, uh, of the universe. And this is what I love is that God doesn't just interact with us with a worldview or a story or some rules of morality. He says, when I want to save, I'm sending a person. And that person is Jesus, fully God, fully man. We see as well that God is accessible to us through Christ. The, the, the angel doesn't just say like, hey, a savior's coming. Maybe you'll get to enjoy it. No, he says to the shepherds, he says to me, he says to you, for unto you is born this day a savior who is Christ the Lord, the sovereign who is without splendor. And he sends it, this message to the lowest of people so that no matter where you are in the world, no matter what you've done or what's been done to you, you know you are not beneath the mercy and grace of God. There's hope for all people in Christ. And, and I don't know, I'm, I, think it's, I think we could probably all agree that it's really good that I'm, I'm not God. Um, if, if I was God and I really wanted to make a, a big impact right away, I would have done this scene right over Rome. You know, just go like full Independence Day, like big, you know, massive, like, you know, like alien ship comes and hovers over. It would sound kind of like that train, I think, right, when it comes in, right? Big, powerful, all of Rome would know. Angel armies would come down, like that's it. End of civilization, game over. And God doesn't do that. No, he, he goes to the shepherds. He does it out in a field. And he says that... I want you to know that no matter what your status is, no matter how lowly you think you are, that I have come so that you can be exalted and you can be glorified. See, I think if God had come to the powerful, if Jesus had been born into a wealthy family, if all of a sudden like, like a, a nation's armies were, were arrayed for, for God's purposes, then all that that would have done is reinforce the idea that there's God and there's us and there's a big gap in between that's gotta be closed and we'll never get there. Now, is there God and is there us? Is there a big gap? Yes. The way that gap is closed is not by us achieving. It's by God coming down to us and us receiving grace that comes in Jesus Christ. God has come to us. God is relatable because when you look at the Christmas narrative, when you look at this event in history, we gotta remind ourselves who we would be in the story. I don't think any of us are governors of a massive province. I don't think any of us are Caesars. No, we'd, we'd be the shepherds out in the field. We'd be the young family with a newborn baby, just making our way, living day to day, just eating, sleeping, enjoying life, right? God comes to us and he does to bring peace because where Caesar has decreed a great accounting for future taxes, God in Jesus is declaring his accessibility as mercy and grace that is granted to people. That's the way our God leads, not in what he can take from us, but what he has given us in Jesus Christ. And then there's this. God gives us hope through sacrifice. 
See, there's this section here in Luke chapter 2, right, where he says, this will be a sign for you. This is the angel talking to the shepherds. And what's that sign? You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger. And, and, you know, like a Hallmark movie, we've watched this or heard this so many times, they were like, yeah, that's just how the story goes, right? But he says, no, this is a sign for you shepherds. You're going to see something that's not normal. If you don't know, babies weren't normally just put in the barn, right? Mom took care of them. They were, they were in a, a different place. He says, this is a sign for you that peace is going to come from victory over evil, that peace is going to come, restored relationship with God is going to come, and the cost of victory is going to be high. It's going to be sacrifice. Right, as Garrett prayed earlier, right, Christmas echoes what Jesus does on the cross. And, and that's not just something like, I wonder how this is going to go. He says, no, this sign is for you to know that victory comes through God's sacrifice on the cross. The reason we know that from this sign is this. These shepherds out in the field between Bethlehem and Jerusalem, right, they were the shepherds that would have, that would have overseen the, the sheep or the, the, the lambs that would have been used as sacrifices in the temple. That every year there was a day of atonement where the high priest would show up with a perfect spotless lamb to sacrifice, to atone for the sins of the people. To, to, to say, hey, your sin has a cost, your sin has a price. It's being paid for by the sacrifice in the blood of that lamb. And how they would treat that perfect spotless lamb is this. When, when a a lamb that was worthy of that sacrifice was born, the shepherds would take it and they'd examine it and say, whoa, it's, it's spotless. It's perfect. It's, you know, in Jesus' case, sinless, right? And they would take that spotless lamb and they would then swaddle it and place it in a manger to set it apart from all the other sheep and lamb. Like, this is a sh- set-apart sacrifice. This lamb is unlike any other, like all the other ones, like, they, they just do their thing, ah, you know, whatever they do, right? This one, set apart and sacrifice. And so when the angel tells the, the shepherds, this is a sign for you, he's telling them, the Savior King who's born is gonna bring victory through his defeat on the cross. It's gonna come from sacrifice. The cost of victory is great sacrifice. That God's answer for the conflict of sin that we have with him is not demanding greater sacrifice from us, but giving the greatest sacrifice ever in Jesus Christ. He's solved the conflict. He has brought peace. God ensures victory. And so he sends the angels and, and he says that there's one who's gonna be assigned to you and they sing the song, glory to God in the highest on earth among those with whom he's pleased. And, and, and this song wasn't, wasn't a new song, right? It's a remake of an old song from Isaiah chapter nine. We, we read this all the time at Christmas. If you have your Bibles, you can turn back to Isaiah chapter nine in the Old Testament. This is 700 years before Jesus is born. And this is kind of a bit of behind the music, right? Like what, what are the angels singing? What are they trying to communicate about Jesus showing up in history? It's this. Starting in chapter nine, verses two through seven, it says this. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Well, what are the shepherds doing, right? They're in darkness, they've seen a great light. What was the world in at this time? It was in great darkness and then a great light came. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, to them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. 
right? The, the, the people of God, the, the chosen people are going to be multiplied. There's going to be more and more people saved by the God of grace. You have increased its joy. Well, yeah, because you were in darkness. Darkness is not joyful. Darkness is not happy. It's scary. It's fear-inducing. What's going to happen next? What's my future? How is this going to go? How is this relationship going to get redeemed? How am I going to make it through another year? No, no, no. Victory is assured. Peace has been secured. So you can have great joy. They rejoice before you. As with the joy at harvest, right? Plenty. God is bringing provision. And they're glad when they divide the spoil. Why are they glad? Verse 4. For the yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, and the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. So what they're saying is like, you're walking around burdened, you're walking around oppressed, you're walking around carrying this weight of sin that you've done, you're walking around carrying the consequences of sin done to you, and God shows up and he says, I'm breaking the burden. I'm breaking the yoke. The rod of oppression is over. You can exhale. Because there's freedom, there's life, and there's liberty. Why? Verse 5. For every boot of the tramping warrior and battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. What he's saying is the reason you can have hope, the reason we can rejoice as the people of God when our hope is in Jesus, is yes, he's shown up and shown light in the darkness. Yes, he has multiplied great joy in bringing more and more people to know and love Jesus. Yes, he's provided like harvest. Yes, he's broken bondage of sin. Yes, he's broken oppression. And he secured a victory so much that all of the, the battles we've been through, all of all of the, the warriors, all of their garments and blood, uh, all of the boots of just, just, just constant conflict. He says, the way the story ends, all that just gets thrown into the fire. The battlefield's gonna be cleaned. We're not gonna remember or worry about in the future the conflict of sin and death and good and evil because good is going to reign in such a way that all we're gonna have is joy that has multiplied and increased. Why does this happen? How does this happen? That leads us to what the shepherds heard from the angels. Verse six, this victory, this peace, this liberation, this prosperity, this life comes from verse six. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. He is wise. Mighty God, he is powerful. Everlasting, he is eternal. Prince of peace, he's royal. And of the increase of his government and of peace, that doesn't just mean no war, it means wholeness, it means communion with God and his people. There will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of, there it is, Lord of hosts, God of angel armies will do this. The zeal of God on how much he hates the darkness in the world leads him to send Jesus as a mighty, victorious, yes, warrior. That's how the story ends. But we celebrate at Christmas is his arrival as a baby, as a child, 
as one who's going to be set apart, who, yes, will bring good wine to the wedding, yes, who will feed thousands, yes, who will heal, yes, who will set free from spiritual bondage, yes, who will forgive sin. But what he's coming to do and what we celebrate at Advent is his arrival to be that sacrifice for our sins so that our conflict, my conflict, your conflict with God is resolved through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ in your place. And this is what the shepherds heard. That's the good news of the gospel they heard. Whether they knew Isaiah 9 or not, the angels spelled it out for them really clear. So how do they respond? How do we respond to this good news? We see this in our last verses as we close. Luke chapter 2, 15 through 20. Oop, there we go. Back to the New Testament. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard as it had been told to him. Our response to the work of Jesus Christ in our place should be to rejoice. Over the last two years, in our world, and maybe in our own stories longer than that, there's been so many reasons to be fearful. There's been so many things to grumble about. There's been so many things to, to fall into despair. There's been so much discouragement, so many defeats. And it's just, it seems like darkness and evil are winning, whether that's in a big story or whether that's in your individual story. And I think God wants for us, yes, to have grief, yes, to process all those things, but the outworking of his arrival into our lives is rejoicing, is joy, is singing, is action. Not wallowing in darkness and despair, but, but saying, hey, we've heard great news of great joy for all people. The shepherds look at each other. What should we do? I don't know. I guess we could just keep watching these sheep. Like, no, let's go be with Jesus. He's in Bethlehem. He's, he's two miles away. We can get there in like a half hour. Like, we can go and see. Like, yeah, I mean, maybe they wanted to fact check the angels. I don't know. Right? Maybe they're like, I don't know. Fact check, mostly true. Like, no, they, they heard from the angels. And it led them to want to be with Jesus, to show up to be in the presence of Jesus. And it says, with great haste, they left. When God has spoken to you, when God's story of light has shined into your darkness, your response, my response, our response, should be one that they have some urgency to say, I want to be with God. I want to experience life and light and love of God. It should lead us to places of joy. And so for these shepherds, they, they show up and, and with great haste and, and they show up with Mary and Joseph and, and I hope they kind of like ask, like, hey, is this a good time? You know, they're like, are you changing diapers right now? Mary, what do you need? Right? Let me tell you who didn't show up. The drummer boy. Nobody brought a drum with a newborn mom and a baby. Right? I'm like, hey, you know what I want now? Drum solo for days. <laughs> no, of course not. Shepherds showed up. We're just going to be here for a minute. We, we, we brought a casserole, maybe, I don't know, right? They show up. 
And what do they, they see it just as the angel said, whoa, baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, manger. And then it says, they told Mary the things concerning this child. So now you're a newborn mom. There's some of you even here, right? You're a newborn mom, mom of the newborn, whatever, you're not newborn. You're, you're a mom of the newborn. And the visitors come and they say, he is the savior king of God's people. Mary's like, yeah, I know. Angel told me like months ago, old news. He's gonna be a king. Yep, know that. He's gonna take away the sins of the world. Yep, knew all that. Mary, did you know? Yes, yes and amen. Yep. Sorry, I'm ruining all the Christmas songs for you. They're, they're, they're trash. Just, just sing the good ones that are real. Okay. And now there's Mary, who's just given birth to the baby Jesus after this 90-mile arduous journey. And she's told by the shepherds, okay, yeah, there's this other part we need to tell you. The significance of this child is not just that he brings victory, but he's going to bring victory through sacrifice. She's like, well, what do you mean? Well, the sign for us was that we would find him in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. Yeah, yeah, I know that's where I put him. Well, that's what we do to the spotless lambs who are going to be sacrificed at the Day of Atonement. The son that you're going to raise, you're going to see risen on a cross, and you're going to weep, and you're going to, it's going to look like defeat. But three days later, you're going to know that he rose again. And so that first nativity pointed us to the cross of Christ and the hope that rejoices in his resurrection and the hope that we all have now in his return. I mean, we, we look back at Christmas to remind ourselves of the hope that is our forever with God and Jesus Christ in his return with no more sin, no more suffering, no more tears. The glory and triumph at times will look like sacrifice and defeat. But victory is assured in Jesus Christ. The child, the spotless lamb, will take away the sins of the world. And it says, it shows us how Mary responded to this good news, not so good news. It says that she treasured these things up in her heart. She pondered this throughout her life. And the reason we know about all these details from the shepherds and what they said and what happened is because she held on to that story for several decades. And when a man named Luke wanted to tell the story of Jesus Christ to the world to make an account of the things that had happened about Jesus, Mary said, let me tell you about what happened the night he was born. She pondered and treasured those things. And we know that Luke interviewed Mary as he wrote this gospel Mary wanted us to know from the beginning that the son that she birthed and that she was going to raise is going to be the sacrifice, was the sacrifice for sin. And yet she walked this life with Jesus faithfully. There's hope for us to rejoice even with the shadow of death, knowing that death has been overcome and resurrection is behind it. There's hope for us to walk through whatever journey we're in right now in a world that's just a little jacked up to know that in Christ's return, there's a world coming where there is no more sin or tears, where there's no more evil, no more death. And then how'd the shepherds react? Man, that would have been tough. I'll tell you, if I was a shepherd, I saw angels, I saw glorious armies, all these, it'd be really, really hard to go back to work the next day or even to go back that night. But what do the shepherds do? It says that they, they went back, right? The shepherds returned back, back to the field. 
Back to a place that looked like darkness. But in that darkness, what does it say they did? Glorifying and praising God for all they'd heard and seen as it had been told to them. Those shepherds, like you and me, had decades of darkness ahead of them. But they could rejoice in hope because they had the good news of Jesus Christ that led them to glorify God in the midst of their darkness, to rejoice even in the midst of their sorrows and hardness and hardships. So no matter what our circumstances are, we can always rejoice in a God who offers peace to the world and individuals in conflict. And, and, and you're like, conflict? I mean, we, the hope that we have that leads us to rejoice is that the conflict has been solved by Jesus. And we, we see this conflict even in our decorations in Christmas. The reason we do lights at Christmas is because light has shone into darkness. The reason that red is a color at Christmas is because it signifies the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. The reason that we do evergreen trees is the eternality of the hope of God in Jesus. All of these things hearken to a conflict, and yet this is not a time of conflict, right? Well, I mean, your family's gonna show up this week. Maybe then it'll be conflict, I don't know, right? No, this is a time of rejoicing and great joy because the conflict has been won by Jesus Christ. In Christ, we have a peace that is not of this world, so we can have a peace in the midst of this world where we patiently and hopefully wait for the next world where triumph and peace is fully realized and fully experienced. And so no matter what's going on in your life, I pray that when we have the light of Jesus, that we can be people that rejoice in all circumstances as we continue to trust Jesus. Let's pray.